2: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
3: All right. Thank you, Scott. Here's your big rundown today on The Exchange. Stocks rebounding, confidence surging in investors. They're turning their focus to earnings. We've got Apple after the bell, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft all on deck this week. Will those big numbers keep today's turnaround going? Plus, could the coronavirus have more of an impact on business than tariffs or the trade war? You're going to hear from one executive who fears supply chains could be disrupted for months. And one big bank losing its appetite for Beyond Meat, the hard times at The Hog, and the new fake news fears at Facebook. All that's ahead on Rapid Fire. But we begin with today's markets. Dom Chu, and what is a a pretty impressive rebound following yesterday, it is. Dom. We've
4: still got some ground to make up, Brian. But as you point out, we are in the green, very much so across all the three major indices. Right now, we're at the highs of the session, just thereabouts. Up 260 points. That's the mark that represents the intraday high for the Dow so far. At the lows, we were up about 39 right after the opening bell. So a good move for the Dow. The S&P, you can see, they're holding just below that 3,300 mark. The NASDAQ up about 1.5% as well. Now, let's take a look at the home construction market because right now we've got a bullish trade there going on. The iShares home construction ETF ticker ITB up nearly 2% at this stage. It's already up about 11% just on a year-to-date basis. Why? Pulte Home Earnings, helping that and some bullish data on the housing front. So watch that home construction market. It continues to be hot. And then check out these big earnings movers. All of these are Dow components. 3M, Pfizer, United Technologies, all moving on earnings today. Not great news for 3M or Pfizer on that earnings front. However, United Technologies, its merger and separation, Raytheon and Otis Elevator, everybody else on track, up 2%. And of course, Apple, as you point out, Brian, the big earnings report after the bell today the dow components very much in focus today
3: back over to you Brian yes they certainly are we'll have all that apple news by the way in fast money tonight all right let's though begin today with the latest on the coronavirus and what we know at this hour there are now more than 4600 confirmed cases worldwide five of those here in the united states according to their own government numbers 106 people have died in china and earlier today emin jagers reported the us government is considering broad travel restrictions to and from china Philbo of course just reporting united is going to suspend some of its flights to china. All right, there's a lot of angles. Let's dive in. Meg Terrell is following all the latest here at home. Yunishun is live in Beijing with the very latest there. Meg, let us begin with you and again what we know literally on a story that continues to develop hour by hour.
5: It sure does, Brian. Health Secretary Alex Azar convened a press conference just late this morning where he confirmed that U.S. case counts have rem- remained at five since Sunday. He said the novel coronavirus is potentially a very serious public health threat, but at this point he said Americans should not worry for their own safety. Still, he said this is a fast-moving and constantly changing situation and that there are many still unknowns about the virus, including the speed of its infection, the severity and whether it spreads before symptoms show. Now, CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield, noted that China has cited some evidence of spread before symptoms, but said the U.S. hadn't been able to examine that data itself. Meanwhile, the CDC heightened its travel advisory to recommend that travelers avoid non-essential travel to all of China, and Secretary Azar addressed the possibility of travel restrictions in the U.S.
3: We are urging China. More cooperation and transparency are the most important steps you can take toward a more effective response. Beyond that, all options for dealing with infectious disease spread have to be on the table, including travel restrictions.
5: Still, he said that is not the preference right now. They want to rely on tried-and-true methods, contact tracing, trying to isolate and identify cases in order to stop the spread in the United States. But it is a pretty interesting step. They're talking, even just talking about travel restrictions like that here.
3: All right, two quick follow-ups. Number one, where is the World Health Organization? Where do they stand on this right now? And number two, given that China arguably knows more about this virus than we do here Have they been good about sharing information and data on it with the United States government?
5: On the World Health Organization, they are. The leadership is actually physically in China right now. And, of course, last week they declined to call this a global public health emergency, but said today that they stand ready to reconvene that emergency committee uh, at a very short notice, and we could see more news coming out of them potentially. Uh, Meanwhile, in terms of U.S. and China data sharing, we did sense some frustration from health officials here in that press conference this morning with China, really urging China to share more information, um, share more about what kinds of work is going on in terms of therapeutics and diagnostics as well, um, to try to really enhance their response.
3: All right, Meg Terrell, thank you very much. All right, now let's head to Beijing, where Yunus Yun has been tirelessly reporting on this, all, of course, while trying to deal with it personally and in a city that is largely on lockdown. Eunice Yun, we do appreciate it. Uh, Eunice, uh, where does the government of China stand inside of the country of China with data? How much is this dominating the airwaves, the newspapers, the public discourse?
2: It's dominating the airwaves and is um, pretty much every major headline at this point. It didn't start out that way, but these days it definitely is uh, the top, top, top news. And that's mainly because there was an increase in the numbers, which appeared quite dramatic and has seemed now as though it's really motivating the government to uh, step up its efforts to be much more prepared for a rise of patients, as well as uh, a need for more care for these potential coronavirus um, victims. The uh, local media has been reporting about how uh, Beijing as well as a Chinese, a central Chinese city of Zhengzhou, have joined Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak, in building prefabricated hospitals. Uh, Wuhan has already been doing this by uh, 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 constructing uh, two hospitals. And and now it looks as though Zhengzhou is also going to be doing the same thing in just a matter of days. Now, this comes as President Xi Jinping, as Meg had talked about, uh, was meeting with the World Health Organization chief here in Beijing. Uh, the president had told the chief that uh, he believed that uh, the coronavirus was a devil, but that Beijing was very confident it would be able to slay that devil. Brian?
3: You know, actually, Eunice, over your shoulder, we're getting a look at action in Beijing. I understand it's 205 in the morning there, so it is sort of late at night slash early in the morning. But that is a main highway, main road through the Capitol behind you there. We've seen about five cars in two minutes. Would that be a normal amount of traffic or literally is that sort of representative of the kind of commerce and activity that we are seeing?
2: Well, as you said, it is 2 o'clock in the morning, so obviously there's going to be fewer uh, cars on the road, but as you pointed out, this is a major thoroughfare here in China. It leads straight to the Forbidden City. Um, it's one of the most important um, avenues, um, and uh, it's the, the activity in the city has really ground to a halt. A lot of that is because uh, people are really nervous about going out, especially when it comes to public places as we've talked about, um, and because the, um, the The the, uh, health officials have uh, um, confirmed that the coronavirus is so contagious, um, even when you're not exhibiting Mm -hmm. symptoms, uh, that's led people to be much more uh, fearful about uh, getting too close to other people, especially when they don't know where they've been or or, or gone.
3: Remarkable anecdotes in a city that is the size of New York, Los Angeles and Chicago combined. Eunice Yoon, thank you very much. Well, this week, most Chinese companies were already scheduled to be closed for the Lunar New Year holiday. But your next guest says he doesn't expect anything to return to normal next week or possibly longer. And that could have big impacts on the supply chains that U.S. and global companies have come to rely on. Nathan Resnick is the CEO of Sourceify, a company that matches businesses with factories in China. Nathan, as I understand it, you were actually scheduled to go to China either, I guess, last week or in the next couple of days. And you have decided to cancel your trip What are you hearing from inside that country and your business sources?
6: That's correct. I mean, you know, all of our employees are staying home. We know through our factory partners that they're telling their employees to stay home. You know, this virus is really widespread and there's a lot of fear on the ground in China. And there's going to be trickle down effects in everyone's supply chain for the next, I would estimate, six months. We look at people coming back theoretically on Monday from this holiday.
3: What would be the normal lag time to kind of get things back up and running after that five days? And what do you expect to happen now?
6: Well, normally this is forecasted. You know, every year there's the Chinese New Year where factory workers return to their hometowns to take a break. And typically they return to work. But now this break, this Lunar New Year has been extended. And so many factory workers are not returning to these factories. And I know especially in Wuhan, there are some major factories you know, Apple's main supplier, Foxconn, employs thousands of people there. And a lot of those factory workers have been told, do not return. We don't want to risk uh, this, this you know, virus.
3: So do we have any idea how much inventory may be built up that can still be shipped or already is in transit? And how much do you anticipate supply chains for everything from Apple's iPhones
6: to socks to be disrupted, Nathan? It's going to be disrupted across Southeast Asia because it doesn't just stem from these assembly factories. It also stems from the raw material factories. And that's really where China's main hub is. And so I think even if your supply chain is outside of China, there could be effects from the coronavirus. And it's really just important to be aware what's going on with your factory. And at the end of the day, you know, health is most important. So we hope, you know, this virus is contained.
3: I know you've been to China often. You obviously work there as well part time, Nathan. This morning on CNBC, we had former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb on, and he said effectively, and I'll let him say it in a soundbite here, and I want you to comment, that you can't trust a lot of the data we're hearing from China. Listen to this.
4: I think the Chinese haven't been forthcoming with information, so we've been patting them on the back for being good actors in this case because they're behaving better than they did with SARS. They're (laughs) still not behaving well. They've they've concealed key information, including that this was spreading to healthcare workers, which they didn't admit to last week. So we don't really know the full scope of what they're facing.
3: Listen, I know you have China partners. Nathan, you probably have to be a little bit politically sensitive here, but as someone who deals with China a lot, do you trust the data?
6: You know, I I would say at the end of the day, this virus could have been prevented. It stemmed from a wet market in Wuhan. And and that's really, you know, something that we didn't learn from the SARS virus in 2003, where it stemmed from a, a similar wet market in Guangzhou. And so, to see this happen, again, shows that, you know, we have a lot to learn as a society and, you know, we need to learn from our past mistakes. And so, you know, I think really this needs to be addressed head on. And I hope China will be more open to sharing information so the world can come together and try to prevent viruses like this in the future. Nathan Resick of
3: Sourceify, Nathan, thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us. All right. We have much left to do this hour. Here's what's ahead.
7: Coming up. What a difference a day makes. Earnings taking center stage. But how will they set the stage for the markets going forward? Plus, Apple on deck. A look at what to expect today and whether the coronavirus could become a factor. And what the social media giants are doing to curb the spread of misinformation. This is The Exchange
1: on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, Today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager.
3: All right, welcome back. Well, it is not all about China in the markets this week. This also marks the busiest week of earnings. Technologies, you might imagine, well represented. Three of the so-called FANG names are out this week, including Apple tonight. Industrial names stretch from GE to Caterpillar to Honeywell. Eli Lilly, Biogen and Amgen will lead Pharma and Biotech. On the consumer side, you've got Starbucks, McDonald's and Coke earnings out this week. The list goes on with the defense names, General Dynamics and Northrop Grumman, as well as oil giant Chevron and Exxon. And if that wasn't enough, maybe the comeback story of the year, Tesla. Let's dig into all this. We're joined by Michael Yoshikami, CEO of Destination Wealth Management. He's out west. And David Wright, Portfolio Manager at Sierra Funds. He joins us on set. David, I'll begin with you, obviously. As somebody who just wants to run money, look for value, analyze stocks, analyze markets. How much has this outbreak of the coronavirus sort of made it more difficult for you to do your job and understand the markets right now?
7: Okay. Well, we don't uh, deal in stocks at all. We don't analyze U.S. industries or individual stocks. We're, we're global macro. Uh, we look well, at asset classes. That goes in, that into that. Uh, well, yes,
3: uh, but I mean uh, stocks generally, like the, right. the world of equities. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. Uh, Right
7: now, we're in European small cap, and I believe that's our only common stock equity exposure. We have a lot of preferred stocks in the U.S. Um, I'll I'll just uh, take a dive here or a uh, plunge and say that uh, when you look at a chart of the S&P six months from now, you won't even see
3: this. Why are you so confident in that, David?
7: Every single exogenous event in the last 50 years has disappeared after a few market days. Uh, the big dives in the stock market, uh, per, for example, the crash of 87, big example, no one can ever find a catalyst uh, for the really big drops. Uh, we've had a couple big drops in the last couple years, and they, there really wasn't a catalyst for those. Uh, so we have these exogenous events, and they,
8: they really uh, don't impact the market. Interesting
3: point of view. Michael Yoshikami, do you agree with that?
8: Uh, Well, I I think that it is going to have an impact on the market. I think in terms of your um, perspective, and in terms of what this virus outbreak might mean for investors, particularly coming up on earnings season, uh, as unfortunate as the human tragedy is, this sort of panic and uncertainty creates softness in markets. Uh, The market dropping 450 points yesterday, even though it's bouncing back today, uh, I think is really a recognition that investors generally are pretty emotional and pretty frightened. Uh, they're worried about what's going to happen in emerging markets and multinationals. And I think that creates opportunities for investors uh, when there is an overreaction, assuming, it, assuming this is an overreaction, which I think it probably is. You know, Brian, it was interesting. I was actually in China uh, three weeks ago, and uh, I was talking to someone from uh, Qingdao actually yesterday, which, if, if your viewers are not aware, is pretty far away from Wuhan. Uh, it's actually on the east coast of China. And it's a ghost town. People aren't going out. People aren't going to movies. They aren't going to malls. They're really more concerned about where can they get food that they don't believe is contaminated. So I think that sort of panic is going to have an impact on emerging market equities. And it certainly is going to create some softness, in my view, uh, in the U.S. market.
3: Because what we're talking about, David, is effectively, and I'm going to be rough with the numbers here, one-fourth of the global economy. Mm-hmm. In China, mm-hmm. that, as we've talked about, we're getting anecdotes, we've got our reporters on, is, is ground to a halt. That has got to play havoc, I think, with global macro.
7: Well, uh, yes and no. If you look at the Hong Seng, it hasn't even had a ripple. Uh, again, uh, things like this always seem dramatic in the very short term. And I'm not saying this time couldn't be different. Uh, it, it certainly is big. Uh, for the moment but if you look at the impact the SARS virus on the markets and and SARS uh, concerns lasted quite a while if you look at even a six-month chart of that period of time you won't notice any impact um, for more than a few days uh, for the SARS stuff.
3: On the earnings side Michael let's focus on that obviously 130 some companies reporting if the numbers are good if the guidance is pretty good from the big names that we care about Is that enough to sort of counterweight what else we're seeing in the world?
8: Yeah, I think it is. I I think that it's going to come down to earnings. I think there's going to be, as I mentioned, some softness based on the panic about the virus. But it's all going to come down to earnings. And in the United States, the economy is basically reasonably healthy. It might be slow growth, but we have very, very low unemployment, no inflation for all practical purposes, And so I think earnings are really going to matter. And I think you make a really good point, Brian. It's not just earnings, it's guidance. That's what's really going to matter. How conservative are global multinationals going to be, given the uncertainty uh, in one-fourth of the global economy, as you correctly point out, which is is China? I think the guidance is really going to be key for pushing the markets.
3: Michael Yoshikami and David Wright. Gentlemen, we appreciate your views. David, thank you very much. Michael, thank you. All right, coming up, there is a lot of misinformation flying around the Internet about the coronavirus. So what are Facebook, Twitter and others doing to help stop a problem that in some ways their own platform enables? We'll let you know. The U.K. going it its own way with Huawei. What they've done that is sure to anger one President Trump. And a reminder, you can always watch us live. Listen to us on the go on the CNBC app. Download it today. We're back right after this. bit of a less of an appetite for fake meat, investors putting the hog out to pasture, a tasty partnership, and big breakfast news that involves poultry. It is time for Rapid Fire. Here now with these stories and their takes, Dom Chu, Kate Rogers, and Robert Frank. Welcome all. First up, shares of Beyond Meat, they're down nearly 5%. J.P. Morgan cutting the stock to neutral, taking the price target down $4 to 134 a share. Analyst Ken Goldman telling investors it is time to, quote, head for the sidelines again because he believes shares are now simply fairly valued. We should note, while shares are down today, stock's still been red hot. More than 50% in January, on pace Kate Rogers for its best month ever. But J.P. Morgan says we don't think there's any more money to be made here.
0: Which is interesting because they are still announcing partnerships. They just announced one with Denny's uh, today for an expansion of that burger offering. It seems like, you know, every week there's another major partnership that comes out in the news. Uh, The one thing, of course, we always talk about that a lot of analysts are still waiting for is a big McDonald's rollout. They're testing that in Canada right now. But when you say there's no appetite for fake meat, it's interesting Bloomberg had a report last week about Burger King franchisees saying that there's less uh, interest among their customer base and that, in fact, some of them were lowering the price of the Impossible Whopper mm-hmm. there. And at the same time, McDonald's rolled out this big ad campaign that really focuses on its hamburger offerings. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe there is can less are starting appetite. to see it
9: everywhere. Well, can mean, we, every can we store look I go to, every burger place, it's like Beyond Impossible is everywhere. And it's,
3: but you think it's a little faddish, only because people, want, they may love it, but everyone's going to try it. Yeah. Right. And, did you and try that's it? the I question. Tried it. I did, of course. You have to. First yeah. of all, we talk about the
9: stock, so we need to eat the product. It's good, but what's secondly, the I'll eat anything. Right, but that's the question. What's the sustainable everyday market for people that, beyond just going, oh, I'll try this, yeah, it's almost as good as regular meat, but are they going to try it day in and day out and pay that extra margin? And are these companies going to remain sort of non-commodity brands that can charge a premium? So right. when,
4: I first, when I first got to the office this morning, earlier today, I saw the call on Beyond Meat. I saw that it was from Goldman over at J.P. Morgan, and immediately I thought, Whoa, this is a big deal. Why? Because Ken Goldman over at J.P. Morgan was the first of the analysts to come out there and say, this is going to be a massive market, put the multi-billion dollar total addressable market or TAM numbers on these things, said the runway was huge. And all of a sudden, the same analyst who made that big, bold call right after the underwriting cooling off period happened Mm -hmm. comes out and says, hey, you know what, guys, after a 67% run in just
9: like the last three or four weeks, this thing may be overvalued. But explain this. His price target is 134, 138. Mm -hmm. The, The stock is at 119. So and it's still, there's it, still upside, even according to his price.
4: It's not target, as much right? as he thought. But right, what will he but, say
0: if and when they do roll out a national partnership with a McDonald's? What that, that so,
4: I mean, fact? of course, all of those things, the whole game gets changed if a McDonald's gets involved. It did for Burger King with Impossible. Mm. But if the faddish point that Brian made was true, then, you know, these things are. They have moments. Well,
3: I don't know. I just wonder how much data do we need to look at. We can't say a week or two weeks or three weeks. You've got to give the public time to go in and check it out. I think you've got to look at months of data and see how many return buyers there are. If you get the Beyond Burger, the Impossible Whopper, and you keep going back for it, yeah. that's very different than, hey, let's, let's check it out. Well, yeah. And
4: the other thing that I would watch out for is, A big, big deal was made for these impossible-type foods or these plant-based products for the China market, Mm -hmm. especially in those areas there. So if you can get plant-based people to go make that migration into China, that could be a big deal as well. All
3: right, story two, not hog-wild over Harley shares. They're down over 3% right now. Harley posting its painful 12th straight quarter of declining sales in the United States. Hog shares now down more than 40% in the past five years. The S&P up 63% in that time. We did have Scott Wine, the CEO of competitor Polaris, on CNBC today. He said their sales of the Indian brand are doing great. Is this a Harley problem? Or is this a consumer and motorcycle problem? No, I don't think it's a consumer and motorcycle problem.
4: Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not as avid a cycler. Polaris said their numbers are pretty good. Right. So so here's the thing. This is about... Harley has made a very big deal of the fact that the future for Harley is going to be in electric motorbikes. Mm -hmm. Right? If you're going to take that Harley internal combustion engine aura, that that feel of it, and turn it into an electric bike and make it work, that's a big deal. If Polaris can do the same thing with, with, with Indian, that's great as well. Here's the thing. Ford is doing it with Mustang right? Mustang, the new Mustang Mach-E is their now line of electric vehicles. Cadillac will be the yep. flagship EV brand for GM. There is nothing to say that an established brand like Harley cannot be electric if that is their I,
3: I, 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 I will push back on that because there is a saying in the motorcycle community that loud pipes save lives. Yeah. And Harley riders, you may hate their noise, but it saves their life because the guy driving with his AirPods in might hear those loud pipes to his left and not just move over. Sure. I do wonder, given some Tesla aside, pretty lean sales data on all electric vehicles. Yeah. Do you think at some point, Robert, Harley has to say, maybe we need to go back to we're the big, loud, proud hog? No. Uh, There are two problems that Harley
9: has. One is structural. So the number of people in the U.S. who ride motorcycles is down 40% over the last decade. That's number one. Number two is people around the world, including the U.S., that do buy motorcycles, It's smaller, it's sporty, it's electric, or it's quiet. So it's Ducati, it's KTM, it's all Triumph. It's these sort of niche brands, or it's the sport racing brands, and Harley is none of that. So they've got a demographic problem and a product problem, and the question is, that Harley brand, which is known for one thing, Mm -hmm. those loud pipes, just, I I don't know that they can make that transition. Maybe they should create like a BMW
3: 1150. Go for that, you know, the upright
9: touring bike. I think
0: it's... Very much a demographic problem, just because younger people aren't as interested in these products anymore. I mean, I'm not getting on one, personally. Why not? I'm scared.
3: I wonder if it has something to do with just larger cars on the road. You know know what I mean? But it are they cars larger? Larger.
0: If I'm in a regular in electric, car, I feel even like electric
4: cars, cars are smaller.
3: The, a what? Yeah. In the last 20 years, cars? the average size of an American car has gotten
4: huge. Yeah, but what I mean is if you look at, I mean, t- take a look at some of the but larger sedans like, out
9: there. And sport bikes are still popular. So that, that idea of putting on the saddlebags, the big windscreen, the radios, the giant, you know, just thundering down the road, going cross country. Like, aside from insurance commercials, people don't do that anymore. <laughs> you and Flo, Robert Frank.
3: All right, next up. Instacart wants to bring you a sandwich. It is teaming up with Florida supermarket chain Publix to launch Instacart meals. You can order a custom sandwich with Kate Rogers, your grocery delivery. What's is this, this going to help Instacart business? I want eggs, cheese, dog food. And an Italian hero.
0: Well, they said people are not only thinking about groceries, but what they also want to eat for dinner that night. It could be a smart move. Listen, Wawa has delivery now. Subway has delivery. Those are the two big sandwich players in the game. It's worth it for them to try it out. They have a really big presence. They partner with uh, retailers that are operating 25,000 stores all over the country, including Publix. It's a big footprint. Why not try it out and see if it works?
9: Publix sandwiches are so good when I'm in Florida. And are they? You have oh, to go get them. so good. Yes, they are so good. And so they're, they're known for the
0: sandwiches. Yes, yeah. I think Such
9: it's like a wild grocery food. store sandwich. Them and Wegmans are probably the, the really two places good. I'd, I'd like. No. But waiting on the deli line is one of my least favorite parts of going to the grocery store. If you can get rid of that, even if it's just
3: pickup, mm-hmm. forget about delivery. I'm all. You, you think so this might push the Frank family to order a sub and use Instacart well, because, because now Publix, you can get it where I live but, yeah I, it, right, I absolutely public's by the way i think they're only in florida right or, i mean just the South southeast yeah. mm-hmm. i think just they but everywhere every edge it's like the waffle house in the northeast
9: which Publix is that next to and then you know where it is it's next to the waffle house all
3: right finally the breakfast wars a lot of kate rogers stories today i can see why kate was there the wars are heating up mcdonald's announced today it's going to add Chicken sandwiches to its breakfast menu. Apparently, chicken isn't just for lunch or dinner anymore. The Chicken McGriddles and McChicken Biscuit will be available at all U.S. locations for a limited time. It comes with growing competition. Wendy's set to launch a nationwide breakfast menu this year. Chick-fil-A, well, they're just legendary in some spots as well.
0: Number three. Is there
3: demand for chicken for breakfast?
0: I think uh, there's demand for different and interesting and good breakfast offering. Just breakfast have one is, of everything. is really important to McDonald's. They've long been the leader in the space. Before Steve Easterbrook left the company, he said we're willing to defend our market share in breakfast because a lot of analysts were asking about what Wendy's pushing back into the space uh, yet again means for McDonald's. So I think it's important that they do have an offering like this and it gets people talking. I think that that's really smart. You know, what it winds up doing for them when they're already the leader remains to be seen.
4: I don't know the incremental cost to putting an item like this on a national scale, for a company like McDonald's, but it seems like a no-brainer from a consumer standpoint. Mm-hmm. The reason why is if you if you've heard about, if you've eaten a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich for breakfast, you know just how good it is. If McDonald's can do this on their basis, they have a lot more outlets that they can do this at. They can address a bigger market if they can get Americans to conceive this not this concept that chicken is for breakfast, McDonald's can make a huge, huge inroad in this. What I also chicken. love
9: is that one of the reasons people like chicken is because it's supposedly, supposedly healthier, right? So Than Wendy's beans, has sure. a honey butter chicken biscuit. Very healthy. And this is my favorite, maple bacon chicken croissant. But at the same time, the Had country's defeat. gone
3: keto and intermittent fasting. Yeah. Where
9: does this fall a, into an that? And based F- sausage. And based percent
0: keto healthy. I can't understand
3: America these days. Can I just say one thing? Are you going to, should we know? Do what? Your thing that we were talking about? No. I don't know. I mean, I mean should I? Could I? I mean, you, <laughs> that, he, that he eats maple <laughs> butter bacon. That, that, I also, that
4: I've also tried the impossible. I or, mean, am I beyond? allowed to say
3: anything? Yes or no? Sure. If you want to, well, I think it's a big deal. You you said conceive, so I thought it was important to note that Dom Chu and his lovely wife are going to be adding to the the <laughs> Chu flock, <Yay>! <laughs> and and and, uh, and having a baby. Yes, I hope that's okay. for you were, you were you announced it to most of the newsroom, so I felt most like of our a... newsroom
4: does know, and now a good portion of our viewing population. Congratulations, congratulations. to you, you and so
3: the entire family, and your and your daughter. She's going to have a little brother or sister. We, we don't won't know. know. We don't know. We won't know. But I'm, congratulations! I'm the not finding out type. So congratulations! Thank you very <laughs> that's much. That's awesome guys. stuff. Thanks, guys. And by Oh, wait, what have you guys done lately for us here uh eaten a lot that's, that's true all you and me both thank you guys very much <laughs> appreciate that kate robert and dom of course all right china is a key market for apple and a vital link in the supply chain we'll take a look at what the coronavirus could mean for apple ahead of its earnings tonight that is next so apple is going to report their fiscal first quarter earnings after the bell today And while its business in China has picked up lately, the question now, of course, is very obvious. Could the coronavirus derail Apple's progress? Josh Lippin is in Cupertino with what to watch tonight and more about China. Josh.
10: So, Brian, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was speaking to one smart Apple analyst who was saying he was actually certain that Apple was going to beat and raise today. But now because of this virus, he told me, he's really not as sure. So analyst investors are trying to figure out what this virus means for Apple. It could impact uh, Tim Cook's company a couple broad ways. One is certainly sales. China is a critical uh, market for Apple. You know, the company doesn't break out the country specifically, but analysts estimate it does account for about 17% of total revenue. And you saw that team at JP Morgan, they're now warning clients, they think Apple could potentially be losing sales here during this important holiday period. In part, that's because they think foot traffic to Apple stores uh, could be lower. Apple, of course, has spent a lot of time uh, and money and effort building out this big network of stores in China. It now has 42 of them over there. And, of course, the second way is on production. China is also this key link in Apple's supply chain. Um, most Apple products are assembled over there. Millions of Chinese hard at work assembling those Apple devices, the iPhones, the iPads. Uh, suppliers now are reportedly warning that the virus could impact Apple's planned production. So some big important questions here, likely a hot topic on the company's conference call after the bell today, Brian.
3: Yeah, but I would imagine, Josh Lipton, that that iPhone demand is fairly inelastic. I mean, if you need a phone, you're going to get a phone. You may delay that purchase by six months or three months or whatever it is because you're not out shopping in China. But ultimately, I would I would guess that Apple and the people you talk to believe that lost sales, while it might hurt one quarter, will likely be made up at some point.
10: Yeah, so there's some debate about that. Um, do you pull forward the demand as you're suggesting, Brian? Others might, you know, kind of push back on the whole idea that is, is production going to be dented here? It's a worry for some, but you know, the team of Evercore actually point out they think at this point, you know, the footprint there is so big. They believe that even if you saw a couple supplier sites get shut down, they think Cook still can move production to other, um, unaffected areas. So there is some debate on the street about what this means. Hopefully we're going to get more insight from Cook after the close.
3: All right, Josh Lipton, we'll see him tonight. Thank you very much. Those numbers should be out shortly after 4 p.m. Eastern. Well, England will allow Huawei to build aspects of its new 5G network, but with a catch. Those details and what it might mean for the U.K. and the U.S.'s relationship. Stick around. All right, welcome back. The United Kingdom is making a final decision on what role, if any, Chinese company Huawei is to play in the building out of their 5G mobile network. The United States is not pleased with the decision if it involves Huawei. Eamon Javers is here now to explain the complicated and contentious decision and relationship. Eamon.
11: Yeah, Brian, that's right. Both the White House and Downing Street are confirming now that President Trump and Prime Minister Boris Johnson spoke by phone earlier today. Not a whole lot of detail from either side on what exactly the two men talked about But we do have this statement from a senior administration official that the White House put out early saying that they are disappointed in the U.K. decision to allow Huawei to have access to at least some of its 5G network. The White House saying uh, there is no safe option for untrusted vendors to control any part of a 5G network. We look forward to working with the U.K. on a way forward that results in the exclusion of untrusted vendor components. From 5G networks, we continue to urge all countries to carefully assess the long-term national security and economic impacts of allowing untrusted vendors access to important 5G network infrastructure. So that's where the conversation stands as of now, a point of tension between Washington and London at this point, Brian.
3: Yeah, I mean, is it just, does the U.S. have any pull over this at all, Eamon, or is it we can just,
11: you know, express our displeasure and move on? Well, I mean, the U.S. is definitely expressing its displeasure. And the concern when you talk to White House aides here uh, is of the national security relationship between the two countries. They share so much sensitive material the two governments do uh, over a lot of these networks. They just don't want the U.S. side just doesn't want any Huawei components being involved in any part of that process. Uh, The Brits, though, are making an entirely different economic decision, deciding that they can allow Huawei access to some but not all of their network, keeping it out of the so-called core pieces of their network. They feel that that is Mm -hmm. the right approach for them economically uh, and technologically. The United States simply disagrees, but, you know, England is a separate country, and the United States doesn't have final say over that.
3: I know, but listen, you have literally written the book on cybersecurity. Are Are the people that you talk to, Eamon... Do they believe that Huawei is truly a threat? I've spoken with people on both sides who said, this is ridiculous. And others who would say, how could you let effectively an arm of the Chinese government control the network that
11: accesses top secret and dangerous government information? Yeah. White House officials will say to you straight up, this is a threat. We do not trust Huawei. We don't want them in the network. We believe that they could be giving the Chinese backdoor access uh, to anything that passes through those networks. But you talk to other people and they say there's no evidence of that. There's no uh, public evidence linking Huawei to doing anything like that on behalf of the Chinese government. So the the White House simply saying, we just don't want to take the chance here. Officials I talked to today say they believe this will be an iterative process. They don't think today Mm -hmm. is the end of the line. They feel that they have uh, more conversations coming uh, with the UK side. But uh, ultimately, the UK is going to make its own decision here and the United States is going to have to live with it.
3: You know, there's a book called Broker, Trader, Lawyer, Spy by a guy (laughs) named Eamon Javers. You should check it out because it's It's got a lot on cybersecurity, I'm told. Yep. Eamon, thank you very much. Thanks for the plug, Brian. Of course, always. With coronavirus spreading rapidly around China and parts of the world, social media companies are now faced with another problem, misinformation. So how are the likes of Facebook, Twitter, and others fighting a problem that largely originated because of their platforms? We'll talk about it next. All right, welcome back. Got a nice little market run right now. We're up about 250 on the Dow, just off of our highs for the session. Of course, we're not making up what we lost yesterday. We were down 454 on the Dow yesterday, but still... We are seeing perhaps earnings, perhaps some talk of added liquidity by the Chinese government help these markets. Dow right now, up to 50, S&P and Nasdaq also responding. Well, while public health officials are working to contain the coronavirus, social media is trying to control the spread of misinformation. The Washington Post reporting that Facebook, Google's YouTube and Twitter are all scrambling to combat falsehoods on their platforms. Here now to take a closer look at what steps they are taking is Tony Rom, senior tech policy reporter at The Washington Post, as well as our own Julia Borst and Tony, I'll start with you. Uh, what are the problems and what are these companies who, by the way, their own platforms are the reason they exist, doing about it?
1: Right. It's not enough to have a public health crisis. We also have a misinformation crisis, as we're starting to see on major social media sites. And the claims are widespread. they are things that conflate exactly how the disease is transmitted to people, about cures that don't exist, the same kinds of things that we've seen on Facebook, Google and Twitter about a whole host of other health topics. And so in the minds of regulators and in the minds of experts who track this sort of thing, it's just the latest indication that these companies need to do more to stop the spread of viral misinformation and that the stakes are much higher than politics. It's actually something that could affect the decisions that people make with respect to medical care.
3: That's true. And also, Julia Borston, I would imagine the other slippery slope here, aside from obviously the concerns that Tony just pointed out, is that these platforms, they largely exist by saying, yo, we're not publishers, we're not responsible for what's on our platforms. It's the people that are the problem. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place.
12: Well, look, I mean, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all of these platforms have said that they are taking steps to prevent the spread of misinformation. And they do seem to have a different standard in terms of being willing to take action when it comes to public health crises. And all of these platforms have tried to sort of downrank or make uh, information that misinformation about vaccines less prevalent in people's news feeds. But what I think is really interesting here is these platforms say that if there is an article that people are sharing that has fake news in it, when it comes to public health, then they just make sure that it doesn't surface as much. They sort of downrank it in their newsfeed so you're less likely to see it. But I think what will be really interesting here is whether these these platforms go to the next step and they say, we're not going to just downrank this so you're less likely to see it. We're going to take it off in, entirely. Um, but there's also this other challenge of this idea of private groups. If someone joins a private group and people are just sharing ideas or um, misinformation between each other there, that's even harder to monitor yeah. than when someone just shares something to their news. But suite. you so could a lot a, of different challenges. You
3: could have done a group phone call 20 years ago, Tony. So people want to chat amongst themselves. You know, they, they're going to do that in a bar or whatever, wherever they can from a mass distribution perspective, I think is the problem. But there also seems to be an issue of how do the platforms know what misinformation is? We don't know a lot about the coronavirus. Do they have CDC employees monitoring Twitter feeds
1: to see, hey, I don't think that's right? Right. Well, there are a couple issues here. The first is that it's not just that these conversations are happening in small groups. It's that the Facebook algorithm will put the content from that group closer to the top of your news feed. So if you end up joining one of these things, they essentially become self-perpetuating echo chambers. This sort of lends itself to the bigger argument that we're having in Washington and in Silicon Valley about whether structurally these companies enable this kind of misinformation because of the yeah. different tools and features that allow content to go viral in the first First place. Now, among some of the things that the companies have done here is help redirect people to more authoritative news sources. So if you're in the United States right now, when you go onto twitter.com and you search for the coronavirus, Twitter will point you in the direction of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention because it sees that as an authoritative source. But it's the case that um, sometimes what the companies have done have not been uh, as effective as they could be. So we pointed out, for instance, that Facebook is doing these fact checks and downranking, troubling, incorrect information. The thing is, as we did our analysis, as we joined a lot of these groups, we saw that the content was not labeled and perhaps had not been downranked in all cases. So again, there's just this question of whether what some of the companies say they're doing here yeah. is actually having the intended effect.
3: Oh, there's still work to be done. And I have a feeling, guys, we got to let you go that ahead of this election thing I keep hearing about, this might be only a more contentious topic. Tony and Julia, great stuff. Thank you both very much. We got a Dow rally here. Dow's up 231 points. And a reminder, huge earnings tonight. You got Apple out after the bell. You've got Microsoft and Amazon later on in the week. You got the coronavirus. There was a lot going on. That is it, though, for us on the exchange today
2: you've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
1: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.